Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen, he doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with treats. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whispers. Welcome to The God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirla. Today we're going to be talking about the veneration of the saints, the cult of the saints, saints galore, saints... <laughs> saints palooza right the, here uh, on New The New Orleans saints and... Oh they, man, are they having a season. Man, they are. They they killed my Patriots. They're uh, they're, they're going undefeated, I'm God, predicting. It's rough, mm-hmm. rough, man. They creamed my Patriots. It was not <laughs> cool. Hey, if you want to call us, The God Whispers hotline, 626-593-7713 or... Manly Doctors 13. We love it. And uh, that's, that's a that piece of paper there. That's spent. And uh, I thought we were going paperless. I, I don't know. I, I <laughs> this is not a down. green show. I'm telling you, just looking around here, <laughs> I don't see it as a green show. No, I, I have the uh, gas generator cranked up in the backyard <laughs> to keep our equipment afloat. And <laughs> we, are, we are just emitting greenhouse dogs gases. Dogs out back, burning right. some leaves, and it's all good. Bill, if people want to email us, what do they do? Don't even try. Um, (laughs) Godwhispers at gmail.com. Gotta love that Gmail. Gmail's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And the website, if you haven't found us there already, you probably, that's how you are listening. Uh, Yeah, well, and chime in. We love the comments stream. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, You know, things are happening there. Godwhispers.org or .com. Those two, nothing else, but uh, godwhispers.org will get you there. Uh, having a good time, uh, seeing a lot of new people signing in on the guest book. Facebook, Twitter, we're, we're there. We're there. Um, one of these days, you know, we should create a God Whispers. Do we have a God Whispers actual, like, fan site at, uh, at Facebook? Well, we, we, we have, have a, a site. A God Whispers page, but I don't mm. I could add fan page if I, I well no I mean yeah uh, fans fans just seems a little we don't have fans yeah we don't have fans I we don't we may not have listeners <laughs> I tend to think of them as poor unfortunate people people without a life yeah people we put people with long commutes <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a friend who told me that a podcast should be no more than fifteen or twenty minutes. And uh, so I think he was dropping a hint as to why he doesn't listen to the God Whisperers. Well, for most people, it should only be that length. But for the God Whisperers, an hour. Because <laughs> you just can't get enough. Is, is more than enough. You That's know, right. But, but the Cult of the Saints. It's our music. That's why people are are listening. You know, uh, we get a lot of we get a lot of comments about the music, and and uh, you know, your choice of bump music is is always great. Yeah. You know, I, I spend a lot of time on <laughs> iTunes fishing around. Did you like the, the Thanksgiving edition with the uh, turkey music, Adam Sandler? Oh, I loved it. The- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I sit around, I sit around processing the uh, the podcast, and and I think to myself, how does he get all these things? And then he disclosed the big secret is. It's- the iTunes search engine on iTunes is amazing. <laughs> it's, it's your database. Yes, <laughs> and then I, I spend like two dollars a week on this program on iTunes. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a huge outlay of cash. And Steve Jobs thanks you, but <laughs> but this one you can have for free. <laughs> uh oh, oh, it's not plugged in. Uh oh, smarty guy there. You, you know. 
This is uh, sort of hear it in the background. This is though. God Whispers. There it <laughs> there is. It goes. Technical genius. That was, <laughs> that was a thing of beauty. <laughs> you know, in some ways, deserving of of this. That's this he, is Chris Lemker at the organ. <laughs> Do you know he, this? This organ is in his living room. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Is it actual pipe organ or is it no, no, digital? No. Digital. <laughs> you know. You get a job at the circus. Yeah, or hockey games. <laughs> I'm waiting to hear like you know that that stomp and clap, dum 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 dum. Yeah. But uh, you know, Chris does. Um, he, he actually has an interesting service. He he does a, a thing where uh, if you give him hymns and liturgy, he will create a uh, a CD that you can use. Like if you don't have an organist, really. And it's it's custom tailored to what you want. So you give him all your hymn selections, and you give him. Um, we just had We're a, a little we just brown had a brownout. I just. I know what's I next. Think, earthquake. I think the dog peed on the generator out back. Or something. <laughs> yeah, man, we just had a major brownout. So um, yeah, but but uh, and oh, again, again and again, interesting. So so maybe this recording won't take place after yeah, all. Yeah, I think the government's onto the God Whispers. Either that, or you haven't power. paid your bills. Oh, you're supposed to pay those? Oh, yeah. There you go. This <laughs> this reminds me of when I was teaching in, in Siberia. They had backup generators literally in the basement wow. of, of the seminary because every once in a while the power company just get irritated and just turn the power off. Uh, this, they just cut the power. And so you'd Is be, it because they weren't paying their bills or just, just yeah, because? Yeah, or just sometimes just because. It's a different system over there. Well, over there, if one person wants to watch the TV, the other person loses a refrigerator, (laughs) right? Isn't it kind of one of those things where they have to swap out the plug? You can have TV or refrigerator. (laughs) I can't believe I messed that up. I I had it all queued up; it was ready to go, but I I pulled the plug. Who knew? (laughs) I can do it again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure people would love that. If you turn up the thing, it's there. Oh goodness. Please turn that down. I'm having a nightmare here. <laughs> you know, but this is fitting for our, our topic of the cult of the, the cult saints. of the saints because it's just so loony and zany that you know I, I think it works. It's let's let, let's cut that off. I, I can't take that anymore. Let's uh, let's let's talk about the cult of the saints here and and what the problem is. I, I think it all goes back to the concept of merit. Okay. You know, that, that this idea, and, and Luther had to contend with it at the time of the Reformation, that there is this treasury of merits, uh, the merits of the saints. And saints are those who um, did works far exceeding their sins. You know, think of, sa- think of sins and good works on a balance. Right. And, and a saint is going to be somebody whose good works um, exceed that of their sins. And so they have extra merits to, to dole out to others. Right. In Luther's, well, this is kind of what kicked off the Reformation in a lot of ways, is the whole treasury of merits Mm -hmm. that uh, the Pope seems to have the key to the lockbox. Boy, these lights are giving me, they're making me nervous. (laughs) It's getting creepy here. Uh, Anyway, the the Pope had the key to the lockbox of all the merits that were excess from the saints. And for 25 bucks, you too can have your sins forgiven. And and you know this is kind of one of those key linchpins that that set off Luther on the ninety five thesis and 
voila, here we are. <laughs> well, the, the other thing is this notion that it's not Christ alone, but it's Christ and the saints. Right. Uh, and you actually hear Luther speaking like this in some of his early writings. He talks about Christ and the saints as kind of forming this holy brotherhood. Hmm. Or something, whereas much you know, as Luther progresses in his thinking, as the gospel uh, takes hold more and more of his language and his his vocabulary, it's Christ alone, and that's where you start getting this this notion of the centrality of Christ, the uniqueness of Christ, hmm. and and so this what we call the cult of saints, and it's not cult the way we mean the way we use the word cult is some kind of weirdo right. um, group, some weird closed group, but it, it means literally cultus is worship or the, the veneration of the saints. And, and the question is, is there a proper way to recognize the heroes and martyrs of the faith without making them into little Christs or little little propitiators or little uh, mediators or whatever? And, and so that's kind of what's at stake here. Now, Protestants walk into our churches, they see the pastor up front wearing his priestly garb, you know, the, the, the black shirt, the white collar, the... Uh, all the stole, the cincture, and sometimes the chasuble. The Hawaiian clerical. The Hawaiian clerical. And, and, and they, they look at us and they say, oh, they're chanting, and they, they say creeds, and, and they're Roman Catholic. And by the way, it's St. Ambrose Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, and what is going on around here? These Lutherans are worshiping the saints. They have St. Sundays. <laughs> well, actually, if you look at the hymnal, there, there's, uh, there's both um, the biblical saints. We kind of make a distinction. We have the biblical saints, but we also have commemorations right. of uh, what we consider to be some of the notables of church history. Yeah. And that includes Martin Luther himself. Sure. Do we have a Katie Luther Day? You know, I don't know. It seems like we I, did have like Katie Von Bora, Confessor of the Faith I, Sunday I think, or something I, like that. You know, that. not Sunday, but it's certainly a day. Or Tuesday. If the, you know, if that day fell on a Sunday. But. Tuesday, it goes with Taco Tuesday, I think, <laughs> Katie Von Bora Tuesday. You know, one of the things to note here is where does this article fall? And I think it falls in a surprising place. It's not in the, the second half of the Augsburg, or the second portion, which deals with abuses. So this is not considered an abuse. This is considered um, a matter at least of defense. Remember that middle section is defending against slander. Um, and it's, it's considered part of the doctrinal part of, of the Augsburg Confession, albeit not a major one. But uh, it, it's, it, it really is dealing with the right understanding of the saints, not, not entirely the abuse of what's going on in the name of the saints. And uh, Melanchthon really does, we should read it, it's not that long an article. I will allow you to do so. Uh, thank you, thanks for that permission. I, I, <laughs> it's, it's just a short paragraph. Um, and, and it's written in the positive. Uh, our churches teach that the remembrance of saints, note that the remembrance, not the invocation calling upon them, not the veneration, but the remembrance of saints may be commended to us. This is, <laughs> this is about as light as it gets. Maybe it's permissible. So that we imitate their faith and good works according to our vocation, our calling. Thus the emperor may follow the example of David in waging war to drive the Turk out of his country. For, like David, the emperor is a king. However, the scriptures do not teach us to pray to the saints or seek their help. For the only mediator, propitiation, high priest, intercessor whom the scriptures set before us is Christ. He is to be prayed to, and he has promised to hear our prayers. 
Such worship Christ especially approves, namely that in all afflictions he be called upon if anyone sins. John says we have an advocate with the Father. Uh, there's another paragraph here, but that's not part of this article. It's just transition to this. It's a summary of this whole section. So, but, uh, so the remembrance of the saints is commended or may be commended uh, for this purpose. And this is what, what we need to remember here is to imitate their faith and their good works according to our vocation, our calling. Now, I can't remember the passage, but there's a passage somewhere that our Roman Catholic friends like to dredge up about asking the saints to intercede for us. And I can't remember where that is. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. That, that, <laughs> and, and I think that it is, you know, something like I urge the saints uh, to intercede for me at all times or some, something. But I think that it's it's... Someone like Paul or one of these people uh, <laughs> asking what? What these one of these people? Bible writing people, <laughs> those guys, yes, uh, asking the saints at say Ephesus to pray for me. Uh, but in in the Roman oh, Catholic, oh, I see what you're in the, saying. In the Roman Catholic mindset here, well, those aren't saints; those are are the baptized, perhaps, but those aren't really saints. Well, we're when, so when we come at it with our suppositions of what a saint is, and it's not the same thing that the Bible's talking about, that you, I, and all the baptized are saints, and we should be praying for each other, then all of a sudden you say, ha there's my proof text that I'm asking those who are dead to pray for me. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the end of Ephesians 6.18, to that, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Oh. <laughs> in other words, <laughs> now, now bear in mind that saint here is simply baptized believer. Uh, give you an example. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, together with the bishops and deacons. So these are the members of the Philippian congregation. They are saints. It's not the dead people there? No. <laughs> no. In fact, I'm looking, I'm just scanning through. None of these, none of these passages in the epistles deal with dead people. No. Um, although, First uh, Thessalonians 3, uh, that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now, those would be the departed who are with Christ. Right. Um, but so you got to recognize in the Bible, saints uh, refers to a number of things. It refers to baptized believers alive. Right. It also refers to those who have died in the Lord and are with Christ as we await his return. So the saints will return, you know, will be, be the saints here are those who have died in the Lord, the faithful. Um, yeah, Hebrews 13, uh, greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those are, you know, all the members of the congregation. Um I think the only place that I can think of of prayers referring to the saints, uh, Revelation 5, 8, uh, where John sees uh, the four living creatures and the 24 elders. They fall down before the Lamb, each holding a harp with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Hmm. Now, are those the living saints or the departed saints? Yes. And yeah, right. That's a great <laughs> Lutheran answer. Is yes. <laughs> you know, with angels, archangels, and the whole company of heaven. Right. Um, you know, the Lutheran confessions acknowledge that the saints and Mary do indeed pray for us. So there, here's the, here's the rub. Where does it say we are to pray to them right? or seek their intercession? And I think it's a little bit of a sleight of hand to say, oh, yeah, well, I might say to you, Craig, uh, we're having some troubles. Uh, would you pray for us? Right. Um, right. You, know, you, 
being alive well and sitting across the table from me and saying, uh, Uncle Harry, who died <laughs> 25 years ago, would you pray for us? Well, and, and that's, or St. Anne, would you pray for one us? One of the questions that I've been asked, and I don't think that there's an answer to this, is do the saints in heaven even know what's going on here on earth? Do they care? I heard a great quote from the sainted Kurt Marquardt. Okay. Uh, I was in his living room. And we were talking about this very article and talking about the practices. Of now, meat. when you say sainted, is that because he's died or is that because he was baptized or both? Both. <laughs> <laughs> his baptism was brought to its fulfillment in his death. Um, but it, Marcourt is only Professor Marcourt could, could conjure, uh, just on the spur of the moment. You know, I admire anybody that can come up with an erudite phrase on his feet like this. But we're in, in his living room. And uh, he's a very pious man. I mean, he, he had one of the coolest home altars I've ever seen, you know, hmm. and icons. And, and he had this like little icon thing going. And, I, and I, I really admired it. But we were talking about the Eastern Orthodox. And we were talking about Roman Catholics. And we just heard um, a presentation by somebody who has since gone off to Rome. Uh, about uh, about the saints and 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 all of this and welcoming mm-hmm. their company and, and and you know entreating their prayers and stuff and I asked him just informally I said Kurt what do you what do you think of all this in, in terms of praying to the saints and and here's roughly what what Marcourt said it's hard to to grasp you know I can only I can only approximate it but he said I hardly think that in the beatific vision the saints are so troubled by our trifles. <laughs> you know, in, in other words, in other words, it, it, here they are beholding the Lord face to face in all of his glory. And what do they need to be troubled with our piddly nonsense for? It's, in other words, it just wouldn't be heaven. <laughs> well, I mean, imagine being in heaven in the presence of Almighty God, which is hard to imagine, and you you look down from your heavenly glory there, and you see your nephew having a heartache because his puppy love has died, or you know, I mean, his his girlfriend ditched him, or something like that. And and what would you say? Probably, don't worry about that. It's all covered in Christ, and you're going to be here soon anyway. Yeah, so, like, so dude, don't invest yourself in that earthly junk. <laughs> That's a waste of time. It. Yeah, get over it. Suck it up. You know. It's a, <laughs> you know, and and that's beautiful what Mark Ward says there, you know, that they're trifles here on earth. All our all our worries and our pains and it's it's nothing compared to the glory that's to come. As St. Paul says. Exactly. And 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 those who are with the Lord have been freed from all that stuff. Yes. And so this you know, I, it seems to me to be a strange form of comfort that you trade out the prayers of those around you who are alive. For the prayers of the dead, uh, for whom, and here's the rub, there is no word of promise that they right. even hear these things. Um, I get this, I don't know if you get this, uh, but I get this once in a while from people who have had loved ones die, and they want to know if they can talk to them. Yeah, yeah. I, as we were preparing for this, I told you about a uh, uh, father of a friend of mine, the devout Roman Catholic, sweet people, just wonderful family. And uh, my father had died, and uh, the the father and the family said, you know, 
you can find comfort in knowing that you can always pray to your dad and he'll hear you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and of course I'm distraught at this point. Yeah. Right. Just like, I, I'm not even going there's, there. There's that. like smoke coming out of your eyeballs yeah, I was just at this like, point. You understand so little, but <laughs> well, and, and, and the question is, okay, that's comforting provided I know it's true. Now, now how do I know this is so? Right. And, and the fact is that scripture is quite the opposite. It, let, let me put it mildly. It strongly discourages contact with the dead. Well, yeah, you we know, have Saul and the Witch of Endor yep. conjuring up the prophet. Who was that? Uh, Samuel. Samuel, yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's not a good it, episode. It seemed to work, apparently. And Samuel comes back and just rips Paul or, or Saul a new one. There. <laughs> what <Is> the heck? <laughs> who do you think you are? What are you doing playing but, with these Ouija boards like this? And, and, and it's Saul's you know. undoing too. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and but I mean, there are report. There are warnings both in the Old and New Testament not to mess with the. The wizards, the conjurers, the necromancers, you know, these are the ones who conjure the dead. Yeah. And and um, the fact is we have no promise in the word of God that the departed hear us. Now, psychologically, I understand it because I, I have, my father did die. And, you know, for a year or two afterwards, something big would be on the news or something. And I'd pick up the phone to call my dad and I'd realize he's not there. And and there are many times where I'd be going upstairs to go to bed, and there was a picture of my dad in the hallway, and I'd, I'd talk to the picture and say, boy, Pop, I sure miss you. And, and, you know, there's that psychological need for us to reach out to these people. And I think in this way, you, the religion and the psychology of it has overlapped, and they've turned a religion out of the psychology. They've turned it into the religion. In a lot of ways. Well, I think another, I'm glad you brought that up because there's a genuine need. Uh, death robs us of the physical presence of the people that we love. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that, that's so important to us is the ability to communicate. Uh, and, yeah. and so we miss the sound of their voice. We miss the sound of or we, we miss the interaction that we had with them. And you want to capture that somehow and somehow believe that your, your – um, you know, that you can continue the conversation across this chasm right, of death, yeah. and and so it's it's a genuine need and a real need. Now I think the 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 thing to do is not to negate it and say no, that's totally wrong. Forget about it. Just go away. Yeah, get over it. Um, <laughs> but to to anchor it all into Christ, because because where Christ is, there the saints are, because they are in Christ, and so you you are closest to the departed. As you are close to Christ, right, and and see that redirects this desire to the right place, and and I think that's really the key is redirect the desire to Christ, anchor everything in Jesus, and not in in some hope that doesn't have a basis. There is no basis to say to anybody, you can always talk to your father who died. There's the you know, <laughs> based on what. Well, the good news is. You can always have a meal with your father. Yes. Yes. That now see that's but that's anchoring it in Christ again. Yes. So you come to the altar where the body and blood of Christ are, and now you have drawn near to those who are in Christ. The communio sancta. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's as that's as near as it gets. Yeah. And it's anticipating that nearness that exceeds anything in this life, uh, which we, you know, experience in the resurrection and the life to come. Yeah. When when I have a death in my church, I always like to remind the family come to the Lord's Supper because the the altar, the rail here extends into eternity. 
and uh, you're kneeling here, and those who have gone before us are with us. Yeah, that's that great Berthold von Schenk uh, piece. That, I have uh, no idea. Yeah, it, it is. He he's um, he was a, a Lutheran pastor in the the mid twentieth century. Kind of a quirky guy, but uh, heavily involved in liturgical renewal and in reestablishing weekly communion and mm. things like that. But but he wrote this little great piece about um, the altar the place of the sacrament being what he calls the trysting place between you and your departed loved ones. This, this is mm. the park bench at which you meet. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so he, he talks about how pathetic it is when you see people going to the grave and that's all they have is a body. Yeah. And he says, you want to grab them by the hand and you'll bring them to the church and have them kneel before the altar and say, here, this is, this is the place where you meet the living soul of your loved one because that's where their life is now. It's in Christ. And, and, you know, he's just bang on on that. And, mm-hmm. and uh, would that people take that more seriously? Um, and so if you really want to be in contact with your beloved, um, it's, it would be uh, to be in contact with the beloved son, with the one who holds them in his love. Uh, but we have no promise that we, we can, ought to uh, communicate with the dead. In fact, we have every warning not to. Yeah. Well, the baptized are in Christ there, and we are in Christ here. And so we come together in Christ. But it's all about Christ. Yeah, so, right. Now, you know, the, the cool thing is that um, Melanchthon doesn't simply deal in the negative, uh, but, but this is actually because of the way the article is located and, and, and how it's pitched, it's positive, is that there is a right remembrance of the saints, and that is we remember, first of all, that they were sinners, <laughs> uh, justified for Jesus' sake by grace through faith. Um, and and you know, we were talking about it when we were, we were just kind of prepping for this, is look at the biblical saints yeah. and, and look at how real they are. Yeah. David, the adulterer, the murderer, the murderer yeah. you know, the conniving king. Um, Paul, the leading apostle of the New Testament, uh, being one who persecuted the church and was personally supervising the stoning of Stephen, and uh, even somebody gentle like Barnabas, you know, he has big argument with Paul. They can't get along over Mark. They can't even travel or work together anymore. This is real. This is a very realistic well, portrait. Of let the me church. point out the first pope of the church, Peter. Who runs away? <laughs> All right, you know, in shame, denies Jesus three times, calls some girl a liar for saying you're one of them, aren't you? And mm-hmm. and he, he says, stop it, and he runs away. The guy who lives with his foot in his mouth, who becomes a Judaizer, Saint Paul has to take him to task uh, because he's becoming a heretic. And along the way, he's now one of the most venerated saints. Probably hypocrite would be uh, closer than heretic. Goofball. But, uh, well, yeah, I mean, and three times he's got to be kicked to go to Cornelius's house. And, and so, yeah. but see, that's the beauty of the Bible is it writes these, it, it portrays these characters as genuine, real sinners yeah, uh, who live under the mercy of God and God deals with them mercifully for Christ's sake and not for their own. It's not their merits. It's God's mercy. Right. Well, and that gives me a lot of comfort as a pastor and being the complete doofus that I am that, hey, you know what? I'm in pretty good company here. You know, I'm, I'm with these guys. And uh, they certainly weren't the most exemplary. exemplary so- I can't even say Wow. It. 
sorts. <laughs> exemplary. Thank you. Yes, I, I got tongue tied there. But they're they're exa- they are exemplary in this is that they they trusted in God's promise and not in their merits. Right. You know, Paul could say, "Chief of sinners." Yeah. Though I am, Christ died for me. Well, and that's the thing. Why is David a man after God's own heart? Not because he's such a great guy. <laughs> because he believes. Because God's he believes promise. God's promise, yes. and he and he bends his knee when he's reproached with his sin. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back after this. There must be some way out of here Say the joker to the thief There's too much confusion I can't get no Welcome back to the God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirla. We're talking about the saints. You know, when we left off, we were talking about a few saints in particular, but I have one more. Ah. St. Augustine. Augustine. Yeah. This guy uh, was one of the greatest theologians of church history. I mean, he's phenomenal mind. And... <laughs> if you're a Western Christian. <laughs> in the East, he's blessed Augustine. Right. But, you know, once again, a man with great foibles. Uh, he had a concubine and an illegitimate child. He refused to marry his concubine for reasons I don't know exactly. Uh, you know, I mean, you look at the rap sheet of all these guys, you know, murderers, uh, guys who persecuted the church, uh, a yellow-bellied chicken, a uh, guy with concubines and illegitimate children. And, and, you know, I look at my rap sheet and I realize I'm every bit as sinful as they are. But outwardly, I tend to um, avoid this sort of shame, at least thus far in my life. I'm not going to guarantee the future. But, you know, it, it's like my rap sheet doesn't read... Uh, like these great, great saints who have had an excess of good works and merits. And I dare say probably not too many of our listeners have a rap sheet like that. And yet, according to Roman Catholic tradition, these people are holier than the rest of us. They kind of miss the boat that we're all equally sinful and all equally forgiven in Christ Jesus. Don't you think, Bill? (laughs) I mean, I don't, I don't, don't you think they're kind of missing that. the boat on this? Well, it, it goes back to this the, the notion of merit in the first place. And, and that once, once you begin to talk about mercy and God's undeserved kindness in Christ, the notion of merit goes out the window. Whatever good works you accomplished in this life were done by Christ through you anyway, so you really can't take credit for exactly. them as your own. Um, even the best of our good works are tainted with sin so that they must be forgiven, lest, as Luther says, our good works damn us. And so, you know, just, just the notion that, that we, there are those who have uh, greater status before God, and, and therefore, you, you know what this is? This is, this, is the, this, is, this is the, I know people in high places, can you put in a good word for me? <laughs> Yeah, a lot of this is, why don't we pray directly? God has come down to us in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. Why do we need to pray to his mother or to somebody else, you know, one of the higher-ups, as though we're working our way up through a, a government bureaucracy of some sort? Well, there are billions of Christians in the world today, and 
uh, God can't be bothered by <laughs> our little, he, he, you know, he has to outsource some it's of like this It's like Bruce work. Almighty here. He's overwhelmed <laughs> on his laptop. He's, so he outsources, you know. Now, we, yeah, we have I, India. God has the saints. I, I think there's a, there's a strange notion here of bureaucracy, of hierarchy. And maybe this is what happens when you hang out in a hierarchical church, you know, mm. that, that you don't dare go to the big man at the top, but you can go to an underling and he'll put in a good word for you up up the ladder a ways or something like that. And what's, what's better than if you want to influence somebody, Go talk to his mother. You know, he's a good Jewish boy. Talk, talk to his mother. She'll she'll put in a good word for you. Uh, it, it, to me, it's just it, it's just it, it's so opposite what the scriptures teach that there's one mediator between God and men. You know, the man Christ Jesus, and and he perfectly mediates. He he touches uh, the Father's divinity with his divinity, and he touches our humanity with his humanity. He's the perfect go between. Um, and you know, Melanchthon makes a big point: is if you're going to have, if you're going to be a propitiator, if you're going to stand in between and and have merits that you can transfer to other people, two things that need to be in place: one, you have to have a word of God that says so. That would help. <laughs> yeah, and two, you actually have to have merits that are transferable and applicable to others. And there's only one man that has this. You know, and that's the God man Jesus Christ. He has the testimony of the Father that this is the Son whom we are to listen to, and he takes his perfect life as the embodiment of humanity and dies on the cross so that it's by his merits that we are rescued, not by ours or somebody else's. I want to talk a little bit about Mary here. Uh in some groups, some circles, Mary has been declared the co redemptrix. Um, Mary is almost the fourth person of the Trinity to some, <laughs> uh, which is an oxymoron. But, uh, you know, and, and Mary is blessed above all women. But why is she blessed above all women, but not in this way? I mean, she's blessed above all women because Jesus came from her womb. That she has known Jesus in a way that none of us ever will uh, throughout all of history. So, of course, she's blessed above all women. God chose her to bring his son into the world. But that doesn't make her any better than you or me, does it? Better in the sense of she doesn't have um, any more effective prayer or any closer contact with God than than uh, you and I do. Right. Yeah, it, this, this idea, of mm. course Mary is unique among women. Right. I mean, no other woman can be the mother of God, you know, the, the one who bore God in her womb. Uh, she's the chosen instrument of the incarnation. Uh, you know, say what you will. Uh, the, the, there's, she is, she is uh, uniquely blessed among women and to be honored as the, the, the chosen vessel of, of our salvation. You know, that, that through her son came our salvation and, and he has her, his humanity from his mother. So this is a wonderful thing. But does it make her, does it elevate her above humanity? No. Does it make her queen of heaven? Uh, <laughs> no. You know, who's the queen of heaven? Who's the bride of Christ? It's the church. Yeah. You know, and you'll see this a lot, Mary getting confused with the church. Mm. And so, so uh, you know, it's kind of a swapping of typologies or, or things like that. Whereas uh, what we really should be talking about is the church. We're actually talking, or we wind up talking about Mary. I like the last words of Mary recorded in the scripture. Well, I don't know what they are. Um, the, at the wedding at Cana. Where do whatever she says, he tells do you. Do whatever he tells you. <laughs> there's a, there, you know, if you want to listen to Mother Mary on that one, uh, there's a good one. Do whatever Jesus tells you. Uh, but that's really, it, it, 
there's not much, uh, you know, we don't hear much from her. Now, Mary is certainly worthy of our admiration. Here's here's a young lady who is visited by an angel and the spirit well, first of the Lord. Of all, first of all, she's engaged and she's still a virgin. Let's sort of underscore <laughs> that one. Well, especially in imitate, our modern context. Imitate yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, but she lends her amen to the word of the Lord. And I think that that's what, what makes Mary so admirable is that she hears the word of the Lord and she says, Amen. May it be as you say to me. May, may it happen as you say. Now, this is a scary thing for any human being to endure. And uh, she's willing. She's up for it. She's yeah, and it. she's not stupid either, nor, no. is, nor is Joseph. They all know virgins don't conceive. Yeah. You know, that's one of the big scandals of Advent going into Christmas is is that, that a virgin conceived and bore a son. And even in the first century, they were inclined to say, yeah, right. We, we've heard that story before. Uh, you know, Joseph was going to call the whole deal off. I mean, this was just done. Yeah. And presumably so she could marry the proper uh, the proper father of her child. And, and Joseph is worthy of admiration also because he could have dragged her out to the edge of town and had rocks thrown at her. Eh, probably not at that time anymore, but he certainly, he certainly well, could have. you ruining my fun, dude. <laughs> he, he certainly could have made a public <laughs> spectacle of their divorce yeah. and shamed her. Oh, indeed. And brought dishonor upon her and her family. But instead, uh, you know, it, it says being, being a just man, he resolved to divorce her privately or quietly, you know, in, in in secret, um, and and that is you know he knows virgins don't conceive, and and that's the scandal of the incarnation is is that God chooses to come into the world this way. He could have just appeared as a fully formed man. Yeah, he could have done the Adam gig here, you know? <laughs> right? Just kind of appear as a thirty-year-old man and say, "Here I am." But instead, uh, he's conceived and born as we are, so embracing our our the entirety of our humanity. But see it. The uniqueness of Mary is actually derivative of the uniqueness of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not Mary that's unique. She's not uniquely sinless. She's not uniquely anything except for this, that she's the one who bore the Christ. And so she derives her uniqueness from his uniqueness. Right. We, we as Lutherans, say Mary is the mother of God. Now, that's probably tweaking a few people out there because you haven't thought it through. Shouldn't. When we say Mary is the mother of God, are we talking about Mary or are we talking about Jesus? Yeah, well, we're, we're talking, we're talking, about, talking we're talk, about Jesus, but we're talking about Mary and and who it is she bore. Uh, the question is: Are we speaking of God in His Trinity or God in His unity? Well, God in His unity. No, uh, because she did not bear the Father, nor did she bear the Holy oh, oh, Spirit. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm thinking hypostatic union kind of unity. Yeah, no, yeah. that we are. I mean, yeah. obviously, and that's what keeps it all together is that because He is true God and true man in one person, you can't divide these. So she right. didn't just bear His humanity, the human name Jesus. Now, to say Mary is the mother of God is to confess that Jesus is truly man and truly God. Uh, God right. came out of Mary's womb inseparably. So, right. So that what what uh, whenever you deal with the humanity, you also deal with the divinity of Christ. Right. And the problem is when people hear this, they tend to think, "Well, Mary precedes God." Right. And no. No. Right, no. Right. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying that you know Mary that that God was you know invented by Mary's womb or anything like that. But rather that God came into this world through Mary's womb. And, you know, here we have the God-man Jesus. So when we say Mary is the mother of God, we're saying, yes, Mary is the mother of the God-man Jesus Christ, 
but we're talking about who Jesus is, fully God and fully man, mm-hmm. more than the you know pseudo divinity of Mary or her her uh, uh, immaculate conception or or anything like that. Yeah, the, glad you brought that up. Usually, when when uh, Catholics refer to immaculate conception, they're not referring to Jesus. No, they're I talking mean, about Mary. We certainly believe in the immaculate conception of Jesus that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. But but uh, yeah, they're talking about Mary and and that she was she was preserved from the taint of original sin. Uh, argument going if the uh, if the treasure is holy, the vessel that contains it must also be holy. Uh, to which the response is not necessarily. Well, then you have to go back to Mary's mother, who was supposedly Saint no, Anne no, you don't. So you you can, so you no? can, you can just make it a miraculous thing, which they dogmatically have ah, done. So okay. they just, they just went back one too many generations. There. <laughs> <laughs> the, but, but the point is, it's not necessary that that God can do anything He wants, and 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 God. Uh, becoming man can do it any way he wants. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't require a sinless virgin. He just requires a virgin. And the virginity is not her purity or her sinlessness or whatever else. It's just it's just the fact that there is no man involved. Mm. It's to preserve, again, what you're saying, that God is his father and that he's fully God of God. He's the eternally begotten son of God. Once you get a human father and all bets are off. Right. Right. So that's kind of the curious thing. You always know who the mother is, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> In most cases, yeah. no. <laughs> I think I told this joke before. I told I'm poor at jokes, but you know, the blonde calls up to to uh, to get the results of her paternity test, and she she asks, "Well, am I the mother?" Although <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you see a kid, and the, the kid only looks like the father, nothing like the mother. So you know the the question is, who's yeah, the mother? We always yeah. know who the mother is. <laughs> but but uh, does this make Mary somebody to pray to? You know, I, it's curious. Um, she's mentioned in passing in the Book of Acts, uh, being among the 120 of the original believers prior to Pentecost. She's never mentioned again. Yeah, ever, and nobody ever consults her. She has nothing recorded to say to the church. Uh, Herman Zassi makes a really interesting observation in in one of his books. I believe it's in "This Is My Body," that that big book he does on on the Lord's Supper. But in in one of the early chapters, he he talks about Mary and the veneration of Mary, and points out that it first really seems to begin in Ephesus that the cult of Mary was huge in Ephesus. But Ephesus was also the place of the cult of Diana. And uh, Paul ran into the cult of Artemis, which is the other version of Diana. Mm -hmm. And so there's this, this, it's it's in the air and the water at Ephesus to venerate the female deity. You know, and it's something about our inherent paganism that really wants to have a male deity and a female deity, and Mary kind of rounds it Mm -hmm. out. So you got Christ, the male deity, and now you need you need a female version of that too. But he points out that it, it, it was very deeply rooted in Ephesus, and this kind of veneration of Mary is much more prevalent in the East than in the West. Really? Yeah. See, I don't know my Eastern uh, Orthodoxy very well. Mm-hmm. You, you you've dabbled more in that than I have. Um, do they pray the Hail Mary in the East? Um, you know, I, they do not pray the Hail Mary, but there's a very strong uh, veneration of and devotion to and and prayer to Mary certainly 
Um, speaking of the Hail Mary, that's a Western prayer. Is is uh, you do have it in front of you? Yeah, uh, yeah, I have it right here. Because that's a, that's common devotion in the Rosary and other other things. Let us pray. <laughs> Let us not. <laughs> it, it reads, "Hail Mary, full of grace. Our Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus." So far, so good. Well, you recognize it from Mary's visit to Elizabeth and what Elizabeth says to her, you know, okay. at the visitation. So, yeah, yeah, I mean... This is from the Magnificat. Uh, right? Yeah, and, and the scene that precedes it. Luke 1. And, and even Mary in her Magnificat, from, from this day, all generations will bless me. Yeah. She says, call me blessed is, is how it's usually translated, but it just simply says, well, bless me. We've got no problem with that. No, of course she's, she's to be blessed, blessed. Uh, because, because she, she basically is the epitome of woman, uh, and she's the fulfillment of the promise uh, regarding Eve, that through the seed of a woman, the, the, the head of the serpent would be crushed. So, you know, of course she's to be blessed. Now, the only, so far, the only problem that I have here is that this is directed to Mary instead of giving God thanks for Mary, which we wouldn't have a problem saying thank you for the fine example that you sent us in your mother, the 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 Christ bearer, the the bearer of God. Right. Uh, you got to remember when Elizabeth is saying this, she's looking at a living person right. in front of her who visited her. Right. They're, they're, that's they're that's standing... like if you win the lottery and I say, "Man, you're blessed." Yeah. Right. right? <laughs> or you say to me, "Blessed art thou." You know. Yeah. You know? But but uh, the question is, um, is that same conversation possible and or permissible uh, when now that Mary is dead? Right. See, and, right. and there's nothing. Just because Elizabeth said it doesn't mean you and I are given to say that. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's I mean, the good. Bible is recording, recording history. It's not basically laying down... Uh, necessarily laying down every word that we're supposed to say as well. This is recording the historic event of Mary and Elizabeth getting together, two very unlikely pregnant women. Yeah. You know, one's a senior citizen who's pregnant. <laughs> and, one's a junior miss. And one, yeah, yeah that's right, a virgin. <laughs> so we have, Hail Mary, full of grace, our Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Magnificat. We're pretty okay with this, except it's being directed to Mary instead of giving God thanks. Holy Mary, Mother of God. No problem there. Well, and that's okay, too. Yeah, no problem there. Although I really prefer the Greek, uh, the Greek title, Theotokos, the bearer of God. But, but bearer is the, that, that's, uh, that tokao is the verb that mothers do. That, that's, that's, that's their role in reproduction, is, is they bear. Um, and so she's, she's God-bearer. Okay, now it gets hinky. Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Just went off the rails completely yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, and you can find no scriptural precedent for that kind of prayer. No. Anybody praying for us in the hour of our death uh, as sinners. Uh, there's only one that can pray for us now and at the hour of our death as sinners, and that is Christ. Right, right. And, and Mary is rightly honored when well, Christ is honored. Or the fellow saints here on earth that... You know, pray for me now and pray for me on my deathbed. Right. But even their <laughs> prayers are all funneled through Christ. Indeed. Too. Yeah. And so, you know, you, got, you have a couple issues here. You know, one is that Christ alone is the mediator and propitiator. He, he is the one that stands between God and men, and he's uniquely qualified to do so, mm -hmm. uh, being both God and man and having died and risen. 
Mm. Uh, the second issue is that you have no promise that talking to the dead is even a good thing. In fact, you have every indication it's a bad thing. Right, and we, we brought up Saul and, and the Witch of Endor mm-hmm. already, right? So conversing with Mary, no matter how blessed she is, is a bad thing because she's dead. Yeah, yeah. But alive to the Lord, you know, <laughs> in Christ. I want to be clear on that. But because she's not accessible to us, we have no promise, nothing to say that, that we should be even talking to her. We can talk about her. Right. We can thank God for her, mm-hmm. but we are not to talk to her. We well, could even have a Sunday dedicated to her memory. Or a church. Yeah. I think there's one. St. Mary's Lutheran Church? Yeah, I think there's one St. Mary's Lutheran Church. That, that'd be an awesome name to have. There was, uh, um, oh gosh, I think there are two of them. It's like Martini Lutheran Church or something like that. Have uh-huh. you seen that? N- no, it's, they're actually Missouri Synod churches. It's like uh, you know, it's it's a derivative of Martin Luther. Yeah, I didn't th- I didn't think it was. It was it's named... like Saint Martinis or something like that. <laughs> Which, I can't remember. You know, you gotta kind of like shaken, not stirred. I, I'm thinking or about stirred, not my, shaken. I might however. change my church's name, Saint Martinis. <laughs> Is there a Saint Merlot or Syrah? <laughs> Saint Cabernet. The uh, you know uh, before before we we forget and run out of time here, um, Melanchthon in the Apology, and by the way, the the confutation just utterly rejects this article in total. Uh, you know, they don't they couldn't care less that we're willing to remember the saints. Mm. Uh, they they want prayer and invocation of the saints or nothing. Now, in the confutation, where do they go? I mean, what are their arguments except it's just been taught among us for the last 800 years or whatever. That's exactly the argument is that the holy fathers have taught this. And there's some obscure passage in 2 Maccabees 15:14 that's in a dream where Jeremiah is seen to be uh, praying for the saints and for Jerusalem and stuff like that. Uh, There's no way you can squeeze out a doctrine of prayer or invocation of the saints from this. This is just, again... um, I have that passage here. Would you like me to read it? uh, Go ahead. Uh, Then Onius answering said, I probably didn't say that name right, this is a lover of his brethren and of the people of Israel. This... This is that he prays much for the people and for all the holy city, Jeremiah, the prophet of God. Right. But this is in a vision, in a dream. And, and so, and, and, and we even acknowledge, let me be even more specific. We acknowledge in the apology, Melanchthon does, that the angels pray for us, the saints pray for us. Um, we just aren't given to pray to them. Right. Whereupon Jeremiah stretched forth his right hand and gave to Judas a sword of gold, saying, Take this holy sword as a gift from God, wherewith you shall overthrow the adversaries of my people Israel. This is kind of hearkening us to the Book of Mormon a little bit. Well, right? you know... <laughs> And visions are visions. I mean, I I can't say that this is is not from God or anything like that. I mean, look at the revelation. It's weird beyond imagination. But you you can't argue with the premise that that John one Sunday on the island of Patmos had heaven open to him, and he's got these cartoon images in his head. And if Judas Maccabeus were running around with a golden sword saying, God gave this to me, and, you know, with this we will smite, you know, or... He did a lot of smiting. He, he did. Yeah, so <laughs> but but it's totally rejected on, on really on the basis of tradition and the fathers. And and uh you know, you gotta wonder how much of this really stems out of paganism. That mm. uh, that you have a pantheon of gods, you got a, you have a multitude of gods, and now you're coming with monotheism, one God. 
Yeah, you were mentioning this. Yeah, yeah. and and you know you see this when the when the the missionaries bring Christianity to South America, and they encounter these pantheons. People got multiple gods, and so rather than just saying no, 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 you know, there's but one God revealed, you know, in three persons, but one one God. They basically just say, okay, well, we're going to rename all these gods. So there's Jesus, Mary, and the saints, you know, and and so you wonder how much of this is kind of like almost a pseudo polytheism or a pseudo pantheon. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, strange, very, very strange. Um, and it goes back to what Zasi says, that, that the, the divine female and, and the, the worship, the veneration of Mary beyond what is appropriate for her role. Hmm. Uh, but Melanchthon is very positive. You know, he says there's, there's a threefold honor that the saints are, are accorded. One is we thank God for them. They are a gift to the church. They're like the hall of fame. You know, we're thankful to God for all that, that was done. Look, St. Paul brought the gospel to Europe. You know, we're not for the zeal and the efforts of St. Paul. The gospel never made it through, through the Mediterranean world. So we thank God for all that they've done and for the gift of God that they are. Uh, second, we receive strengthening for our faith when we realize, like you said, they were great sinners justified for Jesus' yeah. sake. You know, they were real people that really screwed up. David, a man after God's own heart, was a man after God's own heart because he kept returning to the promises of God after he'd completely screw up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like to say I am, as I sit here today, the sum total of all my screw-ups yeah. made right by the mercy of God in Christ, you know? And and then third is they serve as an imitation or as an example, that we might imitate them in our vocations. Hmm. Um, and, and this is perhaps where the, the notion came for saints that are patron saints of this vocation or hmm. that vocation, um, is not so much that they were, you know, you're supposed to pray to them, but that they were to serve as, as an earthly example for you uh, to, you know, to serve the Lord, to do excellently, to, to to serve your neighbor in love, and to trust in the merits and, and the justification that comes through Christ. Let's talk about that for a second, because I think of, like, St. Barbara, who's the patron saint of gun owners. I, I, I don't <laughs> think Augustine's mother owned a gun. Monica. That was Monica. Uh, I'm sorry. Who did I say? Barbara. Yeah, I'm sorry. St. Monica was... Uh, Monica is the patron saint. Or maybe saint. it is Barbara. Maybe I'm confused. Yeah, you got you got your your hagiology yeah, here. Monica is Augustine's mother. I think yeah. it is Barbara who, I, and I'm not sure who she was. Why? I that's what I'm saying. Oh, you know, okay. uh, according to the movie Spinal Tap, Saint <laughs> Hubbins uh, is the patron saint of of shoemakers. We, we, like we've that. now so, invoked Spinal yeah, Tap. Well, and that's fine. Fine, Splendid. fine movie making uh, action there, and but. You know, still, you end up, regardless of saints that have nothing to do with the professions that they are keepers of, you know, I, I don't think Barbara had a gun or Monica or whoever the patron saint of gun. Now I've got to look it up again. But. Well, the, you know, the, the thing is the, the, the legends that, that begin to grow around the lives of the saints, too, start to take on some absurd uh, character, too. And the, the curious thing is you don't see this in the New Testament. You don't see this kind of strange stuff going on in the New Testament. When when Stephen is martyred, uh, he has a vision of Christ and and he declares it, but then he dies. You know, there's there's there are no sort of uh, uh, strange, wondrous uh, signs that accompany this, and and so you you have this 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 continual piling on of legends and traditions and that uh, pertaining to the saints, um, and all of this really, I think, serves 
to deflect attention from Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author of the Hebrews says. That's, that's, that's where the finish line is. It's, it's with Christ. And the saints are there as kind of a, um, you know, the, the ones in the stands cheering you on. As, as you're running your, the race that's set before you, you know that there are, there's that great company of heaven cheering you on. But you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And I think that's where the Lutheran emphasis is, is always going to go, is, is the invocation of the saints invariably deflects from Jesus. I, I think that that is really important for us to remember, because it's easy. I mean, we constantly get our eyes off Jesus. By the way, according to Google, St. Gabriel Pocenti is the patron saint of gun well, owners. Well, now you know. Handgun owners, though. Hand, oh, hand, we don't know about rifle owners. Uh, handguns only. What about shotgun owners? Yeah. yeah. So. Or AK-47s <laughs> or, or M-16s, for that matter. We, we've got about a minute left. How do you want to wrap this up? I um, want to look just at, at uh, just point out uh, him 517 and 518 in LSB has, uh, is basically, this, this is the go-to hymn for your basic saints days. Um, and uh, there's some how many verse or how many stanzas? Twenty eight stanzas, uh, but you don't sing them all. You sing the appropriate one for the the saints' day. And these are all the biblical saints from uh, uh, Andrew, Thomas, Peter, Stephen, Paul, Matthias, the Holy Innocents, uh, etc. But each of them get a, get a stanza. And you know it's a reminder that these heroes and martyrs of the faith. These this is our hall of fame. And uh, and to to remember them with thanksgiving, remember them as a source of strengthening of our faith, remember them in imitation in our vocation, is to to give them the proper honor as as the ones who've come before us, who've run the race, and who've set an example for us, and now cheer us on. It's it's all good um, to pray to them, to invoke them. No promise, every warning against, and uh, uh, you know. Ultimately, fix your eyes on Jesus, because he's, he's the one, the mediator, the propitiator, the savior. That's good news. We are out of time, but before we go, I want to tell you about St. Gabriel Pacinti. <laughs> <laughs> Be sure and say your prayers to him, because there were 20 uh, uh, banditos attacking a village somewhere in Mexico or something like that, and with one shot, he struck the head off a lizard. Thus, he is the patron saint of gun owners. He earned his key. He was a good shot. We'll be back next time. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. He taught me how to live my life as it should be. He taught me how to turn my cheek when people laugh at me. I've had friends before, and I can tell you that. He's one who will never leave you flat. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. He taught me how to pray and how to save my soul. He taught me how to praise my God and still play rock and roll.